Forgotten Flicks remembers Tough Turf, 1985. Meet Morgan Hiller. First day in a new school. You ready for it? I always. He's got an attitude. <laughs> no black riding on campus. Well, I was just sort of hoping I could take a quick ride through history. You mind taking those off? I'd like to see who I'm talking to. They've got a problem. What's good of me? Not until you tell me what your name is. He lives in two worlds. I'm sure Patty and Al will vouch for us. Always behind enemy lines. You are not now, nor were you ever members of this club. Just when I thought we were going to be good friends. Tough turf. They took your car. I don't own a car, man. Hello and welcome to Forgotten Flicks, where we are remembering the movies you grew up with. And this is an interesting episode. This is the first for a couple reasons. One, it's the first because I'm going to be welcoming a listener to the Forgotten Flicks podcast that's been listening for at least, I assume, a while. Because I feel like I've heard from you for quite a long time, Vince. So, Mm -hmm. yes, let me just get right that out of the way. Vince, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. And Vince, I don't know how how much in depth you want to go into as far as like, you know, your background, where you come from, anything like that. If you want to, feel free. If you don't, if you want to just stay mysterious, Vince, cool with that too. But you you are a listener of the show. You will admit that. I am. Yeah. No, I I, um, discovered it probably somewhere in the middle of last year and just uh, thought it was kind of cool. All the movies you guys were covering and started kind of working my way through each episode. Yeah. just enjoying the kind of the back and forth and, and uh, um, listening to other people's perspectives on movies, um, laughing at some of them going, yeah, I never thought of it that way. Um, specifically thinking of the no retreat, no surrender uh, movie and all the subtext that was going on there. Um, yeah, but, subtext. Uh, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah. So, so, but I, I, um, I live in Arizona and, and have been here for a long time and, and just uh, enjoy watching uh, movies. And not having daylight savings. That's that exactly right. We don't have to worry about that. But what's also at first is, outside of the, the usual crew that, that comes on the show, this is the first in this sort of rebooted Forgotten Flicks world where you as the listener have recommended the movie that we're covering. Now, Peter, you, you yeah. and I discussed Eliminators. I mean, I know you would have easily recommended it. And same with Daryl. I know he, you know, wanted to talk Heavenly Kid and all that, but I believe this is. I'm trying to think. What other? Am I? I'm skipping one, aren't I? Oh well, I had the one, the license to drive one, but to be fair, that was my own fault for choosing that one. But, <laughs> but, it, but everybody wanted to be a part of that one as well. So, but this is the first one where I did not have this on my original list. I don't believe. I, I believe Vince wasn't. Wasn't this your? This was your recommendation. Yeah, I think it was. It was. It was yeah. my recommendation. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Otherwise, I'm gonna have to cut out everything I just said. So yeah. So <laughs> we will be covering Tough Turf from 1985. This is a movie starring the one and only James Spader. This movie is 30 years old. However, if you've never seen it, just in case, I'm back. Spoiler alert, please. If you're new to the show, 
we spoil movies up one side and down the other. And I just realized, Peter, <laughs> talk about being remiss. I didn't what? introduce you officially. So, yes, Peter is joining us on this episode as well. The great oh, Peter. Peter Nielsen. Yes, he is back. Yes, two weeks in a row. And maybe for even more, Peter. Huh? No, you never know. Yeah, Peter, Peter knows he has an open invitation. So, Peter, welcome. If you haven't checked out his retro movie reviews on the site, please do so. They are fantastic. So, moving forward. Back to Tough Turf. We will be going in-depth with Tough Turf. So if you have not seen it, I'm giving you the forewarning now. Please pause, go watch. It's on YouTube. And come back. So that being said, Vince, would you like to share with us your professionally crafted, (laughs) to set up expectation, professionally crafted (laughs) synopsis of this motion picture? Sure, sure. Um, So so the movie is about... uh, uh, as you said, James Spader, he plays a, a, a guy named Morgan, who um, we learn his family came from the East Coast. They were uh, well off, uh, did the country club thing, yacht clubs, things like that. But due to uh, financial strife with his, his parents and Morgan, that's his character in the movie, his propensity to get in trouble at school, he, uh, they end up having to move to the San Fernando Valley and uh, kind of rough it for a while. Um, One night he's out riding his bike and he comes across a gang of thugs um, and a very attractive girl who's played by Kim Richards from uh, Escape to Witch Mountain. Her name is Frankie and he kind of sees them running a scam on on a a man standing on the street. They're they're going to rob him. So he kind of intervenes and breaks up the the, the robbery and catches their attention. And um, so the next day they find out that they're all going to the same school and we we see building over the, the course of the movie, they're going back and forth. Um, Morgan meets up with a guy named Jimmy, who's played by Robert Downey Jr. in one of his earlier roles, I think. And um, they become friends. And as I said, back and forth, they, they keep running into each other. You know, Morgan will do something to them and they'll do something in retaliation. All the while, Frankie, again, played by Kim Richards, she, they're, they're kind of attracted to each other. They're, they're catching each other's attention. He's purposely flaunting the, or, or you know, pushing the envelope and, and ch- uh, chasing her, knowing that, that she's dating this, this uh, thug leader. And so as the movie kind of climaxes, there's, a, there's an end scene where they end up having a big, uh, to do a big fight in a, in a warehouse where uh, Morgan takes on the, the whole entire um, gang with... Frankie as the ultimate prize, and um, I guess we could say she he gets he ultimately gets the girl. I think that is perfectly put together. There were elements of this movie, and we'll get into it more in depth. That I would have very I would have found it very difficult to put it as succinctly as you did. So well, good on you, man. Thank you for doing that. That was fantastic. Sure, sure. Thank you. Without giving too much away, because I, I mean I think it's a movie. You, could tell from the trailer and other things that it's it's a teen coming of age a little angsty angsty 80s kind of movie so in the end of course you're going to have you'd hope some sort of uh, big to do between him and the and the gang so let's just get, jump right into this vince when were you first aware of this movie when did you first see it i probably saw it on video first because it came out in in 85 so well i i, I would and i don't remember the rating on it either. I don't know if it was, um, it's R it's R. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been old enough. So 
chances are I probably didn't see it until, you know, maybe late 85, 86 when it hit video. Um, my mom at the time was, was somebody who would go to all the video stores when they had those and she would sell, um, accessories that were when people used to buy, you know, videotape cleaners and all kinds of things. So, so I used to be in and out of a lot of video stores and when, as she was working, I would just be able to kind of sit down and pick a movie and watch it. And so this is probably where I saw something like that. And what really first attracted to me was because I didn't know James Spader at the time was Kim Richards when she was in Escape to Witch Mountain. I, I had a huge crush on her. Just, just huge, you know. And we're going to so get along. We're going to get along very well. Yeah, because yeah, that was my yeah. reason for knowing this movie as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so here she was, growing up, and you know, I was like, oh man, I got to see this. And and so so I, I watched it that way, and you know, I, I I enjoyed it then. And and one of the terms that you you've used throughout the podcast, C and D, I kind of had that going through my head as I'm watching it. You know, did I like this just for? nostalgic reasons or, or is it something that kind of holds up? And I, I thought, you know, I've seen it many times since then. And I think it does kind of hold up, you know, it's certainly got the, that eighties feel, but I don't think it's a, I don't think it suffers with time going past. So Peter, when did mm. you first see this movie? Uh, like Vince around 85, I think uh, on, on, on video VHS rented here at the local video store, I suppose. Now, is this one you've revisited over the years? No, oddly enough, I haven't. I had it in my head for, I mean, it's been 30 years, isn't it? 85, yeah, 30 years almost. So I, I, I thought, I, I don't know, I, I kind of, can I, I thought it was some kind of, uh, put it in my head that it was kind of teen comedy or stuff like that. And I was like, oh, okay, I've seen it, then move on. But uh, it's really not. I mean, there's. It starts off like kind of a teen comedy, but uh, it takes a kind of a dark turn. But uh, I haven't seen it since you brought it up. For me, I have never seen it. This is my first time. Oh. However, it, this is one of those strange ones where I remember being around eleven or so, and I went on this trip with my dad, his best friend, and his best friend's daughter, and he, she was allowed to see a lot of movies. I I wasn't. <laughs> And she told me about this movie. And I remember, much like you, Vince, when I found out Kim Richards was in it and that it was rated R. And then I remember, I don't know if it was from her or some kid at school, hearing rumblings that there was uh, nudity in mm-hmm. the motion picture. I, I, my, my interest was peaked. Let's just put it that way. So the little pervy backstory. Apologize for that. So for whatever reason, never bothered to <laughs> go with this movie. And I always, it's always been there. Like I've always known about it. I, I always assumed it was this, I don't know why, I always uh, would put it in a movie like, uh, was it Class of 1984, the trauma film? Right. Which I realize right. they have nothing to do with each other. Oh, but wow. I, but I think because it was a you know gang related, like the way it was explained to me, I had it in my head, it was of that ilk. <laughs> I don't know where I got that from, but because yeah. but, I really didn't know the story at all, other than... This guy who at the time I had no idea who James Spader was when I was you know, a kid, that he's this obviously this young, sort of preppy looking guy, and he is gets involved with a girl and there's a gang, and that's pretty much the extent of what I knew about it. So which I guess in a nutshell is what the movie is. But yeah, yeah that was that was yeah. pretty much it. So I came into this as an almost 40 year old man, other than my own Kim Richards uh, 
I want to say fixation because that sounds disturbing. Uh, which, which, Infatuation. In fa- in, that's the word. I'm, that's <laughs> that's, the, that's word. the less stalkery word. Yes. <laughs> Infatuation. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. And and it's funny with her. Same thing with uh, me. It was the Witch Mountain movies that I was first aware of her. Of course, she was in a movie that, and I'm sure I, I'm pretty sure Peter is with me on this one oh, as being oh, a class as solid and Precinct thirteen. Yes, she is the yeah. little girl that is. Yeah, hold on. Spoiler alert for Assault of Precinct 13, but something happens to her <laughs> that sets things in motion. I, I, I want to be careful to not spoil that movie because it's a classic. But yes, that's, I would say Witch Mountain was definitely when I was first aware of her. Saw Assault of Precinct 13 several years later, and then now I'm seeing this. So well, she I, was also, she was also in, wasn't she in a TV show? See, yeah, um, I wanted to get into that because I only found that out recently while researching this because I'm not a fan of reality TV at all. So I don't. Well, really, yeah, but. I was thinking it was, I'm thinking she was in a show when, when I was a kid, um, something family, something. Why am I thinking that? Um, uh, well, I oh, have... Nanny and the Professor. Nanny, I have never even heard of that. Yeah, that was in, um, it was in the 1970. Well, James was, was... at 16, which I have never seen. She was in, it looks like several episodes, several episodes of it played Sandy Hunter. I've heard of the show, but I've never seen it. Oh, she was in Devil Dog, The Hound of Hell, which I remember renting. So she's she was in the car, too. Oh, she was? Yeah. Oh, she was on a few episodes of Different Strokes. So she did quite a bit of TV, actually, Vince. Yeah, yeah. Chip. Right, so she she's did. on the big ones. Love Boat, Magna P.I. She was on a lot of them. Dukes of Hazzard. So, yeah. So I tough can't believe you didn't see Tough Turf. I know. I know. Yeah. I, to be honest, I haven't I hadn't seen Tough Turf since, since 85. So I, I remembered next to nothing so it's almost it, like yeah. it was the first time for you again yeah okay which is which is kind of neat yeah sure sure so i i guess since we have touched upon our background with the movie or, or lack thereof <laughs> we'll go ahead and it will give the floor to vince so for you vince since it was the one that you chose to discuss you know if you want to maybe start the ball rolling about what any aspects you'd like to discuss or just want to just talk about what you love about the movie well, I think I, I'll, let me mention why I like it. I think a lot of it initially, like we said, it was Kim Richards. That's what pulled me in. But as I go back and I've watched it several times, it's one of those movies that I purposely, as I was kind of building up my DVD library, um, it was going back and looking at the eight movies I grew up with. That was one of the ones I wanted, and it was because I I, I enjoyed the the uh, the acting. I enjoyed. I really. By the time I was an adult, looking back at it, I had then known who James Spader was, obviously known who Robert Downey Jr. was. And I appreciated seeing them in those early roles. I mean, James Spader, I think he's getting a claim for Blacklist now, but I think he's always been a really, really solid actor. And he, he just sometimes takes those quirky roles, especially in movies. And he's never been a, a mainstream movie kind of a guy. Um, so, so certainly going back and seeing him in that role, I really enjoyed. And um, with with Robert Downey Jr., although he doesn't have a huge role, it's it's that same lovable character he kind of always plays. You know, um, kind of snarky, kind of but kind of cool at the same time. And um, I think I, he's just he's fun again, even though he doesn't have a huge role. But I think it's just uh, the story, you know, this, this kid, I think we kind of all, we can kind of relate. There's this girl that catches your eye and maybe we're not always the hero like he is in this movie, but we kind of wish we were. And, you know, we kind of persevere and end up with, with the girl, girl at the end. Um, I just, I've always uh, enjoyed it for those aspects. What about you, Peter? What is, what, what are some aspects of this movie that you enjoyed? Well, all of it, actually. Uh, seeing it again this time, I, I was surprised at how how 
how good this movie actually is. It's basically all of it. The story, the, uh, I mean, there's some really great actors in it too. So uh, it's, it's all of it. Yeah, I, I think being the, being the newbie to the movie, mm. what I noticed right off is I liked the composition of the shots, especially at the beginning. I, I don't know yeah. what it was that, that something about that railing, the way it came into the frame, like that was the opening shot and you see the shadow or uh, the silhouette of the bike. It's basically, it's basically a music video. Yeah. The very, yeah. The beginning uh-huh. did the opening credit yeah. sequence felt like a music video, but not yeah. in a campy, cheesy way. No, 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 no. Although, although there was no. that, there was that aspect later on in the movie for sure. But this was not, I mean, the opening to me, I, I liked, I liked ultimately the whole first 10, 15 minutes. I felt, were solid. I really liked the aspect of Vince. You brought up the um, attempted mugging, where they're using uh, Kim Richards' character as sort of a bait and switch situation. And I almost wondered at first, as as the movie, the way it's playing out, I was like, is she a prostitute, or is she pretending mm-hmm. to be? Well, I wasn't really sure where they were going with that. Like, I wasn't. I didn't realize that she was connected to the gang members at first. But I liked the whole setup, the, okay, they're going to mug this guy. And, and honestly, I'm at first I was like, are they going to actually knife this guy? I mean, the poor guy wasn't, I mean, yeah, he was being a little lecherous staring at a girl 25 years younger than him, but still it, it just felt like, oh man, where's this about to go? And I liked without going too spoilery with it, where it ended up. I liked that they, in that moment, set up a way for them later on to know who he was at the school without, cause it's at night, he's driving by him fast. I think a lot of times in, in certain films, they would have still had him recognize the, the the bad guys would have recognized him at the school, but because of what happens with the, with the antenna, I guess the guy's using right. as a fencing yeah. instrument, th- what they do causes him to leave, uh, leave a sign, so to speak across Mr. Spader's back that. Yeah, be- let- yeah because they never see his, they never see his face. Never, no. Just, right. Yeah. Kind of the bike and the, and his back. So, uh, See, say if he had changed it, he didn't use that jacket. None of this would have happened. That's true. Good point. Yeah, if he had, yeah. if he had just said, "Man, they ruined my jacket," and yeah. and then went about his day, yeah, they probably would never have known. Because I mean, a lot of kids ro- rode their their ten speed bikes to school, which is the the, the thing I really do want to get to. A, did you <laughs> recognize the security guard at the high school? Did anybody recognize him? Yeah, I reckon I can't. I, can't place him at the moment, but uh, yeah, I, I've seen him before. Did you recognize him, Vince? No. If, if I saw it again, if I, if I you know, specifically was looking, I, I probably, I'm sure I would. Okay. Well, the actor's name is Art Evans, which I had to look up his name. I couldn't remember his name, but he was in Die Hard Two. Remember, he was in the control tower. With did, he was one of the, in, in with uh, Fred Thompson, and you remember when McLean goes into the control tower at, at Dulles International Airport and. Yeah, he was the he was the the guy. And he ends up actually at one point, if you remember the movie in Die Hard Two, he goes with McLean at some point to take the uh, transponder that they're going to try and hook up to. Uh, yeah, 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 that's yeah. Him. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yep. So he was in Die Harder. Uh, oh, they also okay. have him listed as in Fright Night, but it's I haven't watched Fright Night since we covered it on Forgotten Flicks a few years back, so I don't really remember who he was in that. No, I haven't seen it in a long time. Yeah, and Metro with Eddie Murphy, which again, another one I haven't seen since it came out, so I don't really remember who he was in that. But Die Hard 2, as soon as I saw him, I was like, oh, that's the dude with the transponder. Yeah, I remember him. So, yeah, I mean, it's not that long since my one of my daughters watched Die Hard 2, so I should have recognized him. 
Well, I should have placed him. I recognize him, but I couldn't place. Well, him. it's a, it's he's one. Of, it's a, it's a, the guy who was in that thing, right? It's the it's the yeah, actor yeah. who you recognize. Well, it's it's uh, yeah, the, like uh, the man they're trying to to mug, Frank McCarthy, and he's been in a ton of stuff. And just you can't name anything, but he's been in a ton of stuff. Well, I think right. that's the problem. Sometimes it's it's almost yeah. too many choices. They've been in yeah, so yeah. many things. You're like, oh, I don't even know where to go. Where my brain doesn't. Know. Is it a horror movie? No, maybe, maybe, maybe it was a western. Yeah. Maybe was, I I don't know. Same uh, same huh. thing with the dad. I recognize, yeah, I recognize yeah. Spader's dad, but I'm like, where do I know this dude from? He's well, been in the mom so too. Much. Yeah, in the mom too. That's one of the fun things about going back and watching movies or TV shows um, is that, you know, as time goes by, then you'll see these younger versions of them. You go, man, think of all the stuff they've been in. You don't know who they are, but oh. they just have so much work. And you're going, it's just amazing. It's a, that's one of the things I enjoy most about going back and watching movies from the past. Oh, that's a really good point. I think that that's that is the one of the more fun aspects is finding those little tidbits and doing it without any any help from an IMDb, which I don't think there's anything wrong with using that as a, as a reference point at oh. all. But I like that just kind of going through a movie and just playing a game, yeah, almost like an I Spy game. Right? Yeah, you recognize people in the background. Yeah, more or less. it's fun. It's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. But I will say this: I find it fascinating that that uh, the security guard played by Mister Evans really seem to have a huge problem with Morgan and his his 10-speed biking antics uh, yeah. going through the courtyard. <laughs> Yet, the Road Warrior recess session uh-huh. that happens a little while later, <laughs> that apparently is totally cool, and no one says yeah, boo right. about it. Right, no, right. No, but Morgan, Morgan kind of makes the point uh, when he talks to Jimmy. Oh, so this is recess, huh? I actually wrote in my note, Road Warrior recess. Yeah. So just to set it up, of course, at the opening sequence, Morgan, played by Spader, has disrupted the attempted mugging and, in my opinion, was a complete badass himself. Like, I would I, mm-hmm. I, I think actually, if I had a point of disappointment in the movie, is I, I loved that they set him up as being almost like like the high school equivalent of, of Jason Bourne. <laughs> like, like, his moves are so right. quick and badass on his bike. Mm-hmm. That I think it. Oh man, is this gonna be like totally almost like Karate Kid? But what if Larusso actually knew how to throw down at the beginning? Like, is that where this is going? <laughs> yeah. Like, that's what I thought, yeah. right? And then we get to the Road Warrior recess, where so they've they've had this uh, altercation with him. There's something that happens that lets them know, oh, yeah, that's the guy from the other night or last night, whatever, at their high school now. And so Nick uh, uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds there, the the gang, the, and. Kim Richards' boyfriend, they decide to mess with him by taking his bike, his sole mode of transportation, and pretty much messing with him by riding it around. He comes out to confront him. They have this, what was that, a charger or something? I don't know. I'm not a car. It's a Camaro. Was it a Camaro? Camaro. Okay. Yeah. So they have a kind of a cool, almost road warrior-ish Camaro because it's not, the paint job's kind of rough. And and they're going to play a game of chicken with him, apparently, and his bike. He gets his bike and he holds, he stands his ground, right? And they run his bike over and it's attempted murder. And <laughs> yeah, and nobody says anything. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. So he rides his bike through. He gets all kinds of static from, from the security guard. Yet the road warrior yeah. recess. But maybe, maybe school limits was just be on the other side of the sidewalk. Well, my theory is, is that school, public schools have had this problem for decades now of overcrowding. <laughs> so they figure, well, yeah. if we could take, have a couple of them take each other out, it does lighten the load on the teachers. So there is that. Oh, wow. 
That's yeah, just right. Well, yeah, you know. Yeah, he, he, he does nothing to prevent it. What I love, though, is that, again, Spader's character, he stands his ground. Yeah, he does. The only thing with the movie for me was it, it especially the second act, felt a little uneven. Like, I wasn't that crazy about the guy who played his brother. Like, I found him to, like, I almost didn't, I get that he was there to to be sort of the connection that they have to be, they're sort of like these, the, the, the blue blood Massachusetts, or where are they, where are they from originally? Was it Massachusetts or Connecticut? It was Connecticut. Okay, Connecticut. Yeah. So, but they're from New England. They were obviously, you know, very upper class. And he's still there, that connection to that world, I guess, in a way, because he's going to law school. And he's also the uh, older brother that Morgan can never quite live up to and get his mother's approval. That was right. his brother's the, the golden boy. And yeah, the classic with his uh, sweater over his right. shoulder. Yeah, the cardigan. Right. Yes, I love uh, that. Yeah. Uh, the only thing, the only thing missing uh, was the only thing was him missing was him the, with that uh, Harvard, you know, pompous voice uh, calling people yeah. Muffy. And well, oh, you mean you, know, you mean uh, James Spader's <laughs> character in, in Pretty in Pink? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we talked like through his teeth, like that. There you go. Right. Yeah, yeah, sure. Just like yeah. that. Hey, everybody! It's Dave, and welcome back to the Quest. All right, so let's continue going through the great list of movies, the great movies list that Roger Ebert put together over like the last, oh, say 15 years of his life. And you can find all his whole list on RogerEbert.com. So today, our link to Tough Turf, which Joel and his guests are speaking about, is a Charlie Chaplin movie. Tonight, we're going to talk about The Great Dictator. So, why? What's what's the connection here? Okay, Robert Downey Jr. in Tough Turf, one time played Chaplin in the movie Chaplin. I think he was nominated for an Oscar. I'm not going to look it up, but I think he was. Um, and so, gives me a reason to watch a Charlie Chaplin movie. I think this is the last of on the list of uh, the great movies. I think this is the last Chaplin movie that I haven't watched. On the list, there's a whole bunch of them. Um, so if you've never seen, and I know some people are like totally against. Like, I can't watch silent movies. Well, listen, silent movies are where we started with. And, and must remember that movies are a visual medium, first and foremost. You know, we added a lot of different things over the years. You know, once you had sounds, because then you could have soundtracks and you could have sound effects. And and a lot of those, you know, those uh, senses, you know, getting bringing, bringing hearing in there adds another whole sense into it. can bring a lot of other emotions. But at, at, at its most basic, it is about what you see on the screen. So you don't have heavy-handed dialogue, you know, bogging things down. You had to, in the old days, you know, you had to uh, sh- show action by and, and emotion by just facial expressions. That's why in the early days, you know, when you watch a, a silent movie, some of the ex- expressions on people's faces are, are very exaggerated so that the audience wouldn't miss it. So Charlie Chaplin, listen, I think most people, you know, I think that the thing that people say are like, if you're, like the commies in the early days, you're either a Charlie Chaplin person or a Buster, Buster Keaton person. Now, listen, there's there's both, you know, there's things to, to both sides of them. Uh, Buster Keaton probably had a lot more of the more uh, more dangerous stunts he performed. You know, um, you know, if you, you watch The General and watch what he did with the train, you know, watch, some, you know, just go onto YouTube, pull up some clips from that, and see some of his train stunts and think about. Yeah, those were actually done with real trains, um, so it, it's pretty it's pretty crazy what you know some of the stunts that he did. 
But Charlie Chaplin, it was it was more about heart in a lot of ways. You know, some of his movies were, and they were just funny. Um, so I think on on the the great movie list, I think the Gold Rush is on there, the Circus is on there, uh, City Lights is definitely on there, which is probably uh, his most poignant movie, um, and Modern Modern Times is on there, and then The Great Dictator. And The Great Dictator was his first, um, his first talkie. So Charlie Chaplin speaks a lot in this movie, uh, and then it's so it's, it, it it has a different feel. But it's from 1940, and here's the thing about it, and here's why you know, I'm still kind of struggling with my emotions on this movie in a lot of ways. Or or it, it, this one really impacted me because it was just kind of like one of those wow moments from thinking about history. Because this is a movie for those of you who who don't know it's. It's Charlie Chaplin playing Hitler for half of it. You know, he plays um, he plays two characters in it. He plays a Hitler-like character named Henkel, Henkel, and then he also plays a Jewish barber um, who just happens to look exactly like Hitler or Henkel. Uh, but I mean, think about think about if you're Charlie Chaplin, one of the biggest actors in uh, movie maker, filmmakers in the, in the in the world, and you see this nut job um, coming across in, in Germany and coming to power in Germany, and he has the same exact mustache as you. Uh, I mean, it's just a gift to him to make to to make a movie and and a buff and and make Hitler look like a buffoon. So here's the thing, though. It, it, think about it. this movie came out in 1940, so before the U.S. got into the war and. and um, before you know, you know, reading up on it, you know, he really said that he he couldn't have made this movie. This movie couldn't have been made years later. Um, once, you know, even just a few years later, once he knew the kind of the extent of the atrocities um, that Hitler was uh, and, and the Nazis were performing. But you know, here early on, you know, here he just he he really took the you know, the raging. If you really if you want to do a, a double feature, watch Triumph of the Will, and then watch this, and you see the. The, the raging Hitler, and the uh, and, and then see what Charlie Chaplin does with you know the the you know, the speeches that we all have seen and with that I hate to call it passion but the anger that that Hitler showed and see what uh, Chaplin did with it and you know he he brings in you know a Mussolini character in here too and it just it's it's very broad and, and it's really funny and you know it, it, there's there's also it's it's also a pretty funny movie. Uh, per se, you know, in a lot of ways, so it really made me think, like how tough of a job this really was, and how, you know, I don't think that there's an actor out there today that could really, or we could really pull that off. Uh, there's no comedian that I can think of that I would trust to really pull together a uh, a really satire that was going to work. Now we're in a different time period, we're a different age. You know, it's it's hard to make a uh, you know, I, I, I mean, it, the seriousness, we, we don't have that seriousness today that uh, that was there. But, you know, I, I compare this to something like, you know, the life, life, life is beautiful uh, with Roberto Benigni, which, God, I mean, the fact that he won an Oscar for that movie, it's still just, it, it you know, it, it boggles my mind. I want to, I would say it angers me, but I really could care. I don't really care much about the Oscars, you know, at the end of the day, but he, I mean, that movie was, uh, I hated that movie. I hated that movie because 
here you took something that was so serious as the uh, as the Holocaust. I mean, you go for something like from say Schindler's List, which just you know hits just kills you to seeing Roberto. It, it just it's tone deaf. You know, it, it really it's it's a very it's impossible to kind of balance something as like like that. And surprisingly, you know, Charlie Chaplin did, and Charlie Chaplin did in, in this movie because he has. A lot of scenes which are kind of, kind of real, kind of classic Charlie Chaplin, you know, comedic scenes. And then you also have, but you still have that underlying danger as, you know, in characters in da- actual mortal danger because of what is going on in this. So it's not just, uh, there, there are repercussions, there are, there is menace in it. Um, you know, the movie actually ends with about a three or four minute um, soliloquy by Charlie Chaplin where he's really coming out of character and all he's doing is, is he's basically speaking right to the screen and and it's it's almost like a uh, what we see today when 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 a, an actor goes and wins an Oscar and then gives a political speech it was really a political speech by Charlie Chaplin and, and the interesting thing to me is that you know Roger Ebert said that in his review he he thinks that you know, back then and even today, that this really uh, kind of takes you out of the movie. The movie kind of ends, like it kind of comes to a halt when that happens. And yes, it's very different. It's not part of the movie, but I got to tell you, it struck me at at this part. It was like here, here is like again some like huge box office. Um, you know, one of the biggest actors in the world, and he's and he's totally he's just. You know he's preaching to the to the screen, and and I, I, it just it boggled my mind trying to think about what it would have been like at that time, uh, and and with, with what was going on in the world to really see this. So my bottom line of this is this this is a movie that it's a good movie, and you know it's a great it, you know in, in the list it, it when it comes into you think about all of, especially in Charlie Chaplin's career, but more so for me this one was really one that just hit me as far as like the impact of it from a historical perspective. So this is is really what these great movies are about, to really understand the history of film. And, you know, this movie was Charlie Chaplin's biggest box office draw, and it was also, he won a bunch, or he was nominated for a bunch of uh, Oscars for it. Um, so it, it, it is truly, this is the definition of what a great movie is. So anyways, there are my thoughts for today. Yeah, all right. I was, again, I was going to just try to wrap it up with some sort of stupid catchphrase. I got, I, I know, it's, it's actually almost, my catchphrase is almost getting annoyed about not having a freaking catchphrase. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking around for some sort of inspiration, and all I see is pencils in front of me, and I got nothing on pencils, and uh, there's a laptop in front of me. Okay, I'm going to... I'm going to really work on this sometime. All right, everybody. Don't know what my next movie is going to be. So I just tell you, go on that list. Start watching movies because nothing's better, nothing's more enriching than just learning more about what you love. So take care. Catch you next time. Yeah.
you guys catch the cameo, which it really technically wasn't a cameo, it was a smaller part. But that same year, there was a movie that came out called Back to the Future. Did you guys catch Mayor Goldie Wilson? He was in the off the principal's office. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And he, and he was talking yeah. about how one day he will be mayor. You'll see. And <laughs> yeah, that, that, was, that was a cool thing. I was really happy to catch that. I also, love, like you said, Robert Downey Jr. showing up. I mean, the fact that you have the future Iron Man, the future, the future Ultron, right? In this movie together, mm-hmm. did you guys catch what was spray painted yeah. on the wall when they came out of yeah. that club? How awesome yep. was that? I know. Vince, did you catch that? <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. What was it? Peter, oh. tell him what it was. On the wall, it's spray painted the new Avengers. Really? That's kind of cool. Uh, it is. Remember when Spader gets jumped and they steal the Porsche that he stole? Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. Cool. I'll have to go back <laughs> and look that's at that. That's interesting. Yeah. And I, 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 and every time they went into the car and drove up, I couldn't think of, oh, there goes Iron Man and Ultron on the Avengers again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but the, but the spray paint, it, it, yeah, it's like they knew. It's like, uh, oh, damn it, no, uh, in a, in, not in Goonies, Monster Squad. Yeah, that's spray painted on in. Uh, oh, in Night of the Creeps. Yeah. Yeah, Monster Squad rules. But here's the difference. The only thing in that for me, Peter, would be that it was the same director, and in, I'm sure he already probably had the script done for Monster Squad, and and you know what yeah. I mean? It's like he knew he wanted to yeah, make that yeah, movie. Yeah. Whereas this was a reference to something that there's no way in hell nope. anybody would know. These two guys right. would go on to be in this movie together. <laughs> 30 years later. And that's just awesome. I don't know why. I just... It's really cool. To your point, Vince, that's the kind of stuff you catch, right? Yeah, right. No, that's kind of cool. I also loved that they are watching, apparently, a very pro-gunfighter movie yeah. <laughs> in their history class. I was it's like, cool. they never showed that in my history. That's cool. How come we never got that? The, the gunfighter <laughs> was a... <laughs> it was like the most... like It was like, it was like gunfighter propaganda. <laughs> it was... But do you remember those kind of, did you guys have those yes, kind of yes. things in school? I yeah. mean, I don't even do those any things anymore. I remember us getting film. Like we would, they still had the old 16 millimeter projector for a little bit when I was really young, but we ended up with video, obviously ended up right. going to VHS. And, and a lot of those were just pushed over onto VHS tape. So they still look like crap. And you still heard the, when you're dating a girl, <laughs> you know, you still had that sound quality, but, <laughs> but I never got one like that where it was like, yeah gunfight at the OK Corral in your history class via that. It just, I, I don't know. It just jumped out at me. So, yeah. um, and does anybody know, I assumed that club where the new Avengers was spread outside, I believe it was that club, the guy who was singing in the band. Yep. Was yeah. he? Was Jim he, Carroll. That's Jim Carroll. I didn't recognize him. He seemed familiar, but like I couldn't, what was, what genre of music was he primarily? Was it just rock or was it punk? I wouldn't call it punk, but it was, uh, I mean, yeah. he was a writer and a poet, so I mean, it's kind of new age. Okay. Stuff. Okay. Well, he was he was the one he 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 was famous for a song called um, the one that I knew not um, called "People Who Died," um, yeah. but then he also I think the, there was a movie called "The Basketball Diaries" that DiCaprio okay. was yes, in. Yes, yes, I remember that one. And yeah, that's, he wrote I think that. that was based on it. Yeah, he wrote it was either yeah. semi autobiographical or something like that. That's but, why I yeah. know his name. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, stuff okay. happened around that movie that kind of led him to he, he didn't really do interviews but i know he, he did a couple of interviews kind of forced him to do interviews because of it wasn't columbine they tried to tie it to that movie a little bit i think so it was around I'm the same really time sure, but yeah, yeah yeah i think so uh, so uh, yeah he wrote that it was based on his well 
it was kind of semi-autobiography. Okay, okay, okay. I kind of like I kind of like the music. I mean, I, I like I said, I knew yeah. people who died. And I enjoyed that song, but even the songs that he, they performed in, in that that movie, I enjoyed. That club, though, I believe was the first moment of of several in this movie that gave us something we have not gotten to talk to talk about rather since rebooting Forgotten Flicks, which is the ubiquitous white kids dancing badly, which was all over the place. It was. It was more pronounced in the later scenes in the country club for sure, but yes, right. Yeah, that was that was that was profound. I mean, this one had enough of a diverse group, relatively speaking, for an '80s teen movie that yeah. that it was at least a little less. Uh, no, actually, I take that back. The courtyard would have been the first scene, although everybody in that wasn't too bad. I mean, relatively speaking, I seem mostly focused on their sneakers anyway when they were dancing. <laughs> I wrote down the note: driving montage, opposites attract, weird. <laughs> Know what I was thinking. I guess yeah, something. Yeah. Maybe it's oh, maybe it's the cutting. Maybe because that's the other thing. There was like a lot of weird jump cuts in, at several yeah, points. But it, it, yeah, but it's uh, like I said, it's uh, parts of this movie feels like a music video of yeah. sort. And that song yeah. you made, it's, it's not opposites attracted. Not the best song in the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. o- only second to the "Shake It Up Baby" cover. Played by yeah, the country you know club band. Yeah. yeah, right. You know what I write, wrote down? I said uh, I wrote country club band Eagles. Wow. <laughs> Eagles cover band. Well, yeah. Oh, no, e- oh you said equals. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I equals. said Eagles. Wow. Like I said, e- no, Eagles. Eagles. God, man. <laughs> no equals. Wow. Yeah, they were. Su- they were profound. Yeah, they weren't. Uh, yeah, they were quite corny, weren't they? Uh, just the whole way they performed the song. It's. Kind of typical country club band, right? Uh, in in movies, anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I've never been to a country club. <laughs> well, neither have I. I've seen movies about it. Sure, I've, <laughs> I've seen it in movies a lot. Yeah, yeah. No, but it's it's the way, as like Vince said, it's it, it's the weird performance of this song. Yeah. So so during we have to we have to say that there's a scene where they because Morgan has this background, upper crust, mm. you know, East Coast kid. Obviously, has been to many a country club himself. And he takes the Kim Richards character, whose name, what is her name again? It's escaping me in the movie. Frankie. Frankie, that's Frankie. right. Yeah, Frankie. Yeah, no, Frankie. So Frankie, her her friend, which I think is Ronnie, right? Ronnie, yeah. So he gets them all in the country, including uh, the Jimmy, I believe that's the Robert Downey Jr. character. He gets them into the country club. He sneaks them in by affecting his accent and having them sort of make themselves look European, I believe. They're supposed to be like a European band or something. So... Uh, yeah. Now, the guy who was, the, I guess, the head of the country club that's trying to run them out and prove that they aren't supposed to be there, has he not played a right. stuffy waiter in something else, like in Ferris Bueller's Day Off or something? Was that the same guy? I, I if he, For some reason, he reminds me of the guy, and it's not the same guy, but he reminds me of the guy who played the one of the professors um, in Back to School. He was the one dating Sally Kellerman. Oh, yeah, but yeah, that guy, that guy always reminded me of either Ichabod Crane or Sherlock Holmes. I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah. Right? Yes. <laughs> So ultimately, they go to this country club. They're talking. They're they're going back and forth. At one point, I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure. I, I can't remember if it was Jimmy or Morgan that stuffs a rather large uh, loaf of French bread down his trousers. Yeah, that would be Jimmy. That would be Jimmy. Yeah. To which the <laughs> yeah. the Bader D or whatever he is <laughs> yeah. takes it out and puts it back it on the buffet. Yeah, I know. Yeah, how awesome is that? <laughs> yeah. This scene was actually one of my more favorite ones just because it was so, um, you know, it's kind of got the two different parts. So you've got the part where 
they're each talking to different elements of the country club. You've got James Spader doing his East Coast stuffy, just fitting right in, talking about how to make watercress sandwiches and all this kind of stuff. And then you've got the Ronnie who's talking to all these preppy girls about, I don't, I'm not even sure how to phrase it, but just sexual discussions. And, you know, and then you've got Jimmy who's just all over the place, do, you know, eating off of a guy's plate while a guy just <laughs> stares at him incredulously that somebody's <laughs> doing this, taking a bite of the strawberry and putting it back on the guy's plate. And, and, uh, it just, yeah, so, so take- you've got that. What's that? Yeah, sorry. No, he actually takes the whole plate and says, like, could you help me with this? <laughs> yeah, you should, really should watch what you're eating. Or he says something like that, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, but, right. uh, yeah. but it's just such a good part. And then, and so, so you've got that kind of that part of the movie. And then, and then it segues into the, 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 the first band takes a break. And now we're going to have James Spader show his tender side or whatever. Not the best singer, but I, that's, that song is always something that I remember. And I don't know why. Maybe it's because I wanted to be the one singing it to Kim Richards. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> Um, I just, that's one of my more favorite outside of the, the end fight scene. That's, that's a, the part I remember a, a, a lot with, with fondness is that, that whole segment. Now, now did, did he actually, do you know if he's saying that or if it was lip sync? No, no. It, ah. it, uh, let's see. I have the papers here somewhere. He was lip syncing. It, uh, it right. sounds like his voice though. No, it's not, it's not him. No, it wasn't him. Well, they did a good job getting someone who sounds like I imagine he would sound if he actually sang. Yeah, I know. I read somewhere that uh, uh, his voice was dubbed. I'm not I okay. Can't. Well, and, and, and more, more often than not, that is the case. I think yeah. it seems like nowadays when they do a biopic about a famous singer, they do try to seem to get an actor that can carry a tune and sound similar to that person. But back then, it seems that that was definitely the usual. I think even if the person could probably sing, they they would oftentimes dub over them but yeah i did find that there were certain inflections in the way his mouth moved that the way the singing voice sounded seemed to fit i think i, I think it you know, i don't i don't have the papers in front of me but uh, i i read somewhere that he was that he, well he i think wasn't. he's lip singing but i'm just i was just reading something they said it is him actually singing oh really oh, yeah yeah okay well then we'll, so. well here's what we'll do we'll see if we can find some sort of Evidence one way or the other. It'd be great if this becomes like some kind of conspiracy thing. Like there's no hard yeah. and fast. <laughs> and and we'll we'll link to to both sides of the argument. Was he or yeah. wasn't he? Is he the Millie Vanilli of 1980s teen angsty movies? <laughs> so I, I do want to address uh, Jack Mack and the heart attacks. But before we get into that, the thing that actually made me I actually gasped. Okay. It was after. Frankie has she she agrees to have dinner with Morgan and his family in their home. And this is Morgan still trying to get play. He thinks Nikki, Nick, Nikki, Nick and Frankie are still boyfriend, girlfriend, but maybe they're not that serious. Well, what he doesn't know is that Nick has recently asked Frankie to be his wife, to be his bride, you know, because he owns her, apparently. And her dad, by the way, totally seemed down with this. Like, hey, you know, this this guy never wears a shirt and is swollen. Wine, champagne, whatever that was. Bubblies. Yeah, bubblies, you know, in your bedroom. Yeah, I'm totally cool with my teenage daughter marrying this guy. Right. So they're they're engaged to Morgan does not know this yet. They end up, she comes over, there's a, a issue that happens where a miscommunication, and Frankie leaves upset. And she gets storming down the street. Nick ends up picking her up. Now, he had seen her at Morgan's home and was trying to get her, I guess, to admit to it, but she wasn't. So he drives around, and at this point... I hadn't quite pieced together 
what he was doing exactly. But then I noticed he was looking for cabs. Now, it's important to note, Morgan's dad, who I guess used to be in real estate or whatever he was, a big muckety-muck and lost the family fortune, is now a cab driver. But he has a very specific, unique cab. It looks very similar to me to the cab from the TV show Taxi at the beginning and the opening credits. Is that 70s, you know, I don't know what the style is, but it's that that old-fashioned New York cab-looking cab, right? Yeah, the yellow. Yeah, Yeah, the old yellow yellow cab, cab, yeah. So it really stands out amongst all the typical ones that you see in L.A. at the time in other parts of the movie. So... He's obviously looking for a cab, to which I'm like, oh, oh, and I, and then it occurred to me, like, maybe because he wasn't, for whatever reason, wasn't able to really get at Morgan, is he going to do something yeah. to his dad? Because, and I think, intentional or not, by establishing that whole mugging thing at the beginning, really plays nicely <laughs> into the suspense buildup of this particular scene. And they end up spotting Morgan's father, he's outside of his cab, waiting, I don't know if he's between fairs or what he's doing, but getting a newspaper or something like that. And they pull up and he tells Frankie to, he's running out of gas. He needs gas. Take my watch. See if that guy will give you money for the cab driver. She starts, she gets, she reluctantly does it, but she's obviously still nervous realizing she doesn't want Nick to find out. She was just in Morgan's house. So she gets Mm -hmm. out, starts approaching the cab, realizes who it is, realizes what's going on. Gets back in the car. I really don't want to do this. I'm uncomfortable. Blah blah. blah. Does it still doesn't acknowledge? She knows who it is. Nick confronts her about it. Well, he, she agrees to get out of the car, but she's wrote. I I mean, I will say this is probably of all the points in the movie where I felt the most engaged. Even the I, even though I liked the ending, I was it was intense. Right? Because yeah. she starts coming to the car, and I remember thinking. She's got to be a decent enough human being. She's going to warn this guy. And she does. She, right. You got to run. You got. And, you know, you feel so bad because it's a similar situation, right? They're using her for the bait and switch so they can get at this guy. And she knows what's coming. So, yeah. and we've had all that foreshadowed brilliantly. Well, they jump him. Now, this, folks, I, it, not since, not since watching Rocky rise up against Ivan Drago or Clubber Lang have I gotten this much into a, <laughs> okay, maybe Daniel LaRusso and. but i have it's been a long time since i've been like his dad opens a can of whoop ass on these punks it was so cathartically awesome like i that see seriously like had that 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 whole sequence not played out i would have been like yeah okay i can see why as a kid you would like this movie vince that scene pretty much made me love this yeah yeah he threw he threw the he threw one of them over the over the car just smashed him down and what I love is because Nick is that typical punk leader where he doesn't want to get his hands dirty because he's really a coward. So he sends right, his yeah. boys to do all his stuff. Well, his boys are kind of punks themselves and improve it throughout the movie. And this dad, and the dad's just this kind of regular, kind of wiry guy. He's not big by any stretch. But man, he just beats the... And it's believable. Like, it looks pretty... I mean, he smashes, like I said, one into the car. Yeah. He's Yeah, it looked great. I was like, that's... And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere... Major spoiler coming, folks. Nick pulls out a friggin' pistol and blasts his ass. And I was like, what? <laughs> I, I mean, seriously. I've forgotten about this. So, yeah, I'm right with you. I, and, and I was like, oh, no. Like, my wife was walking through the room and she's like, what's wrong? I was like, oh, they just shot his dad. <laughs> <laughs> they just shot the dude's dad. And and so and then but I Kim Richards was fantastic. I mean the, yeah. I love the fact that even though he's got a gun, she's basically like so disgusted by him and she's so concerned for the father. Like she her character up to that point hadn't been not 
like I disliked her. I mean, at the beginning, they really play her up as like she thinks Nick's the greatest and going along with him. But that moment, that whole sequence, like really made her character very likable. Yeah, you warm you warm up to her big time. So, yeah. but and I do love that. I won't go into what ends up happening to the dad, but I do like that it ends up where it ends up and doesn't necessarily, you know, it could have taken a much darker turn. <laughs> Well, I think part of what they did too, prior to to that scene where his dad gets shot, there's there's a part where um, right after where Morgan comes back after getting beat um, oh, in yeah. the locker room, yes, and and so his dad's like, you know what? Yeah, you know, he's, his dad's like, you know what? Yeah, you screwed up. It's okay. Don't worry about it. That's what being young is about: is making mistakes and figuring out who you are. So you're kind of like, wow, this is kind of a cool dad. He's there, you know. His his yeah. His son's been a, a kind of a, a problem child for for a lot. But he's not giving up on him. He's just saying, you know what? Figure it out. We'll be all right. Yes, it was. It was definitely that moment where you really like the dad, which yeah. wonderfully sets up. So when it when what happens happens, you care even more. Yeah. I think without that scene, you've been like, oh, that sucks. But that whole build up to it, when you realize this is a good guy, he's just trying to take care of his family. He's a decent human being, working guy. And I just I, I love that whole the way that whole thing. I do love how it, that moment ended. Now I will say, did they ever establish Nick? carrying i mean packing heat because they did they, i think they had the knife thing pretty well established early on but they never showed him with a pistol right uh, i don't think I so no. i would say that was the only if i had again if i'm gonna have to be you know mr negative nancy about it was i did have that moment of like well wait where the hell did that come from because it's the there was a very famous russian writer who if you're going to use a gun in the you know later in the story in the third act let's say uh, you establish you it, it yeah you show it over the mantle yeah. you know in the first act because otherwise people go where the hell did the gun come from now i will say the only reason i would cut this movie more slack than i would other ones is because we have more than established nick is a pretty dangerous thug type guy so the fact that he's packing heat is not like where did that come from this guy was just a church yeah nah but it, he he could have had it in the car. Or... Oh, sure. Yeah, he could have. Yeah. I think that probably at some point, maybe if you just had, like, for instance, and maybe they did, and I missed it because I was, you know, typing up notes, when they uh, took Nick's car to the, which, by the way, we forgot to mention that, they actually procured <laughs> Nick's car, right? Wasn't that when they did it? They took right. that to the country club, right? To the country club, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. So, so if they opened up the glove compartment and seen it, maybe, that would have at least established it earlier on, and then we probably would have forgotten about it just because out of context of Nick, yeah. we wouldn't have necessarily put two and two together there. Like maybe when Robert Downey Jr.'s character was throwing his tapes out the window, like you know, you see him maybe you <laughs> yeah. pop that open, look for something, like see it closer real quick, and then go back to doing what he was doing, something like that. That way, it's at least established. And who knows? Maybe that scene was in there. I missed it. I don't know. But that being said, I love that part. For me, that that was great. So I, I don't know yeah. how you guys feel about that, but what the the with Morgan's dad? Yes, that scene. Yeah, I was actually almost well. I wasn't screaming because I would have woken my family up, but I was. <laughs> What the, you know, the, the same, yeah, no. same reaction as you had. Yeah, and I like it too because I think we got two different parts. Like I said, the part right before where they establish that his dad's kind of cool. So it draws yeah. you and it makes you more emotionally invested that he's getting shot. But at the same time, Frankie, you kind of see because she doesn't want to follow through, you, you kind of see, you know, she's, she's, there is a good person in there. She's just with a, a, a guy who's an ass, you know, and yeah. so she's actually a good, a good person. So, okay. Let's go ahead and jump ahead, unless you guys have something to say about Jack Mack and the heart attacks, other than I did have, was that a club for teens from the other side of the tracks, or a or, or one intended for white middle-aged yuppies? I wasn't really clear. <laughs> like, that, that probably is the most into-the-night moment of the movie for me, where uh, yeah. I was like, I don't get why this is happening right now. 
I don't understand yeah, why. The, the club 60s? Yes, yes. That you one. know what I put down? I just said, now there's a club I'd frequent. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough for me. I'm good, Peter. The yeah. fact that you frequent there, I think I it's... Love, I just love that. Holy crap. I was singing along, almost dancing. The, 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 go, the go-go dancer. The I think it was pretty much an excuse yeah. to have Kim Rich, Richards and her awesome dance moves and those legs of get to go all around the... Of course. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, if either of you have anything you want to talk about that, we, we could go back to it. But I did want to jump into the third act. Mm. The, the, okay. the, the final, I mean, really, the, the climax, really, of the third act. Like, you know, we, we've got his dad's been shot, he's, his back's up against a wall, and then Nick gets out of jail, in my opinion, really quick, all things considered. I mean, I understand he's probably, you know, bonded out, but still. Um, mm. And he pretty much goes to Frankie's. Dad's, yeah, he's a little angry, a little upset, (laughs) and he goes to Frankie's dad's store, uh, which I guess like a convenience store, gas station, whatever, and he ends up taking her hostage, for lack of a better way of putting it, and calls up Morgan, you ever want to see her alive, I don't remember if he used the exact words, but that's the gist of what he's saying, then meet me at the warehouse or whatever. Yeah, It just says the warehouse, as if, is there only one? The only one that matters, okay. Yeah, the one, the one where the throwdown is happening. That's the one that matters. Yeah. <laughs> so Morgan decides he's going to do what he's got to do. He stops by Jimmy's house to see if he can get you know him to, to uh, help out. And did you notice that Jimmy's brother sitting on the chair? I think it's the only time we see him. He's mentioned by Jimmy a couple times, but it's the only time we yeah. actually see him. He's actually drinking, I'm pretty convinced, a beer from the TV show Lost. Because as you, <laughs> if you saw that show, there was always... It, it, when they when they're on the island, they actually have a beer, and it just says beer in large letters across yeah. it. And I'm pretty sure that's what he was drinking. Okay. <clears throat> I wrote that down. Jimmy's bro drinking beer from Lost. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we will always connect something back to Lost. Of course, of course. Do you want to guys want to set up the events? Do you want to maybe set up what happens there? The climax. I, I really, it's not the third act. It's more the climax of the movie, right? In the warehouse. Yeah. Well, so so they they're in the in the in the uh, warehouse, and and I think there's there's Nick and his main two thugs, and then there's at least one or two other guys. So so he's taking on anywhere from four to five different guys. Um, Nick's kind of um, well, let's go back. Morgan is up higher in the rafters or whatever, kind of watching as Nick uh, starts throwing Frankie around. He ends up hitting her and everything, and so um, he prior to going to the warehouse, he stopped at his house and got, I don't, I don't they were dart guns or something. I, I, they were some kind of target pistol that had darts at yes, shot out of yes. them. So he's up and, and as, as Nick hits Frankie, he kind of grabs a rope and swings down pirate like, um, into Nick and, um, starts, they start fighting. Um, prior to that, he had dropped a big, huge sign that was in the warehouse on top of two of the, uh, thugs knocking them out. So, so he and Nick are, are going back and forth fighting. And then, um, eventually, um, Jimmy comes in and he's got two big Dobermans that he sets on a couple of the thugs and, um, Frankie gets involved. She gets knocked out. And so, so ultimately Morgan and uh, Nick continue fighting. They end up going up into a second level and Morgan's uh, assumably just, you know, finally beats until he, he's knocked out and you mm-hmm. think, okay, everything's fine. And then of course it's not Morgan or, or Nick somehow miraculously comes back and is about to hit Morgan with a pipe and 
Frankie says, watch out. And he ends up, Morgan ends up hitting Nick and he falls off. You know, I don't know, a couple stories or whatever it is mm-hmm. to the ground. And I guess is dead. They did. It, it kind of looked like he was dead. Um, and that's kind of how the movie ends. So, um, it was a good, I thought it was a good fight scene because it, it, it wasn't, uh, it, it was believable. It was, uh, you know, they went back and forth. Um, you know, I, I thought it was, it was uh, very well done, very well choreographed throughout the, that whole scene. I agree. Peter, do you, do you have any, uh, comments about the climax? No, no, it's, I mean, it's like Vince says, it feels real. I mean, it, they, they beat each other up pretty bad. I mean, Nick is a douche hitting hitting Kim Bridges like that, Frank. <laughs> oh yeah, he that 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 whole that whole moment. I was like, okay, Morgan better get his butt up, and he better throw yeah. down quick. Yeah, yeah, but it, when he knocks her, he throws her off. Uh, I don't know what he has her sitting on. It's some kind of I don't know stage like thingy, and he throws her off that, and he knocks her out. I mean, it, it, it's not a little slap; it's a it's yeah. a full on fist. I mean, oh, yeah. holy crap! I thought I thought Morgan better level this guy which oh, he did he did yeah and i'm pretty i took it the ending as he was dead yeah one thing i did notice about the ending and think of think considering the time especially 85 so we are full on into into the slasher movie phenomenon how slasher movie ending was he's got nick down he's completely i mean i don't think he thought he would have been dead at that point but he was out right he was down right. yeah and then yeah. He turns his back and he's stumbling over to check on Frankie and he's looking down and then rising up behind him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a la Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, fill in the blank, and he's ready to attack and she, oh God. And and then that's when he, in a way, you could say Morgan did kill him, but he pretty much got himself killed because he the way he came at him, he just yeah, stepped right. out of the way and kind of just helped them into the, the, the barrier there yeah, that he just... Went down, but I I took it as he was dead, and there was quite a bit of blood there. So, yeah, and you know, and and, and I, it's 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 yeah, that's kind of what you assume. And I think the only part that I didn't like about this movie is that the next scene right after that is them back at the club, ready yes. to go dancing, and it's like it just seems kind of jarring to go from hey, I just killed the guy to hey, let's go dancing, you know. Actually, it's funny you say that because I. Put Jack Mack and the Heart Attack at Club Sixties over in credits. Weird way to end the movie. Yeah, yeah. Have some kind of bridging thing. Maybe they're seeing there. There, we should see them being interviewed by the cops, or just yeah. something that says we got from here to here, and then obviously they've been cleared, and you know they're happy now. Yeah, or even you could have done <laughs> the, the fade to black, and six months later, and you can see, you know, yeah, sort of a that would have been fine too. Yeah, yeah, some sort of resolution mo- moment where where you have the okay, we can see their lives are okay, and maybe he's pick maybe he's picking her up, and they're headed there, and that's how it ends. And then the end credits is them dancing. I, I think it would have been a little tonally off to me still, but it wouldn't have been as you said as jarring. It was very. Uh-huh. Yep, yes. Uh, I think uh, Jack Mack, the lead singer, he says something about uh, talking to one of his band members that uh, isn't that the girl from the other night? So, I mean, it's just, uh, it's like the just, yeah, well, next step, let's go dancing. Yes, because mm-hmm. Jack Mack, you apparently recall high school girls that come to your club and dance around. <laughs> Wouldn't you? I'm going to say this only, only because I'm pretty convinced she was in her 20s at this point, right? Probably, yeah. I, I was so. supposed to look that up. I, I would have yeah. noticed her, but I just think it's interesting because within the context of the story, she's like what yeah. sixteen, seventeen. 
Maybe yeah. okay. We'll say maybe eighteen. Maybe maybe maybe. Yeah. Uh, and so she does have fabulous hair, though. She does have fabulous hair. Uh, yeah. And how <laughs> body double <laughs> unnecessary was the boob shot in this movie? Yeah, I, I just, know. It was uh, like could have taken it out. Yeah. yeah it was Completely. literally like you. Okay. And a you you just literally one shot boom, and then it's obvious. I I highly doubt it was her. I know. I read that somewhere. It, it was a body double, so it's completely unnecessary. And w- wouldn't that have been the only thing to make it R at the time? Because I I don't recall a lot of cursing. Or... I think there were some f bombs. There were some f bombs. Were there? Okay. Yeah, and I think you could even then you could still get away with like one, maybe two f bombs. But mm. but and it was also context of how you were saying them. But but with but yeah, you're right. I think that was the main. I, and I guess it was maybe the violence. I mean, there was. It is. I mean, we haven't even touched on the locker room beating. Oh yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, there's there's this whole scene where Morgan gets jumped and they beat him with like it's the 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 soap and a rag. So they use locker combination locks, combination oh, locks. Yeah, combination he, he wouldn't have gotten up from that man. I'm sorry, he'd have gone to the hospital. There's no oh, way. Yeah. There's no flipping. It was way. brutal. I actually, after I watched it, I try not to do this beforehand just because you don't want to taint watching a movie. But I, I wanted to look up some old, older reviews from when the movie came out. I always love finding actual mainstream critics like Roger Ebert and uh, people like that that reviewed the movie at the time. He'd given it one and a half stars. And his primary criticism, not all of it, but a big piece of his criticism was actually directed at Spader. Yeah, <laughs> and and at okay. the time Spader was a you know unknown, but he just he all but called him this lethargic, <laughs> you know that, that he was like like sleepwalking through the performance. I didn't get that. Like I I don't think I think that's I think Spader has this very without being a surfer dude he has this laconic laid back vibe to him anyway. And I get I get that maybe for you know where Eber was coming from and that he found that off putting. But I don't necessarily think it was Spader's acting that created that sense of... No, no I think it was uh, the character. I mean, it's like he's going through this again. I mean, it's it's, it's same old, same old for him. Another damn school and things go wrong. I mean, he needs to be apathetic. If he's not a little apathetic, I don't even know if it would ring true from the standpoint of being a teenager in general. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's interesting, and I think it's interesting you bring that the, the Ebert thing up because I do do that sometimes. Not that I put a lot of credence into what uh, critics like because they tend not to like the movies I like. But um, <laughs> you know, reading reading Ebert's thing, there were two things that stuck out in his review. He said he said that this was the worst teenage exploitation movie since Where the Boys Are, which I haven't seen that one. But that's I've seen a lot of teenage exploitation movies. I don't know that I'd say this was the worst one. Um, and then there's a part later where he says that towards the end where he says something about, he's talking about the scene in the earlier with the bike and the car and the, the game of chicken. And he's saying, frankly, I'd rather see more scenes with the bike and the car than I'd rather see with Spader. And I was like, wow, that's really harsh. You know, that you'd rather <laughs> yeah, see, you'd rather see the inanimate objects versus the main actor. Yeah. He was really mean yeah. towards Spader. I felt like, yeah. like there was like almost like this, not personal but it was just there was a you reading it going wow he really didn't like spader in this movie like at all <laughs> you, you yeah. definitely had no doubt where he stood when it came to that so that, that's for sure no i i agree with you i i don't i find that the majority of movies that i love yes they they typically are not on a lot of critics lists. i mean I, there's some movies i love that are but a lot of them aren't and, yep. and and certainly weren't at the time that's the funny part movies that are now considered classics and cult this and, and you go back you read the earlier views of a man they're just lambasted they <laughs> People now like, oh, well, the critics love it. No, not then. They didn't then. 
So yeah. for a lot of them, but yeah, I, I do find it interesting though, to go back and get that perspective at the time because they didn't have right. all that baggage. So they were seeing it with that fresher view of, of the movie at, at the time. So it's an interesting way of approaching it. But before we go into our movie picks, do either of you have anything else you'd like to touch on with tough turf? I think we just, I think we covered most yeah, of it, right? Vince? Yeah. yeah, I think so. No, I think we covered a lot. Okay, well then, I say it's time for movie picks. Vince, would you like to go first as the guest here today? Would you like to give us your movie pick? Yeah, I had a tough time because you kind of said, you know, just pick some some way related to the movie. And two movies popped in my head. Um, The the first one that popped in my head was it came from 1984 and it was called Firstborn. and the connection is this was uh, also it also starred Robert Downey Jr. Um, not again in a supporting role, but it, it had um, Peter Weller was in it and uh, Terry Gar and um, I can't think of his name. It was a kid who was in he was later in a movie called The Manhattan Project, I think. But it's basically Peter Weller. Um, it's it's about this family. Uh, Corey Haim was in it too. It was, it was one of Corey Haim's early movies. Um, so, so the main character in Corey Haim, their brothers, their mom's Terry Gar. There, she's divorced, and she meets Peter Weller, who is basically. At first, he seems kind of he seems okay, but then eventually, as time goes on, we find out he's dealing drugs, and he's he's turned the mom into a, a drug, you know, druggie and an alcoholic, and he he ends up beating her, and so it's just kind of about him overcoming this. And Robert Downey Jr. plays one of his his friends who sees this. And is, is kind of there uh, going along with it. I think Sarah Jessica Parker's in it too. Uh, but just one of those movies that I just, uh, again, I remember as a kid, I watched it a few times as an adult and one of the wanted to kind of have um, in my DVD collection so that it's not lost in time, you know. Um, so yeah, that was that was one that I, 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 I would recommend if nobody's seen it. It's, it's worth, worth watching. Very cool. That's a that, that is a a great pick. I have never seen it. I've heard the title before. I've never seen it. Well, not to confuse, not to confuse, because there's a movie. There was a movie came out in the '90s, I think, also called Firstborn, but that had something to do with demonic possession or something like that. Two different movies. Okay. <laughs> Which I might, based on what you just said, I might want to watch both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. All right. So, Peter, what is your yeah. movie pick? Uh, I am going with. Uh... Paul Moans, the guy who plays Nick Hauser. Uh, there's really just one. Well, he, he, he didn't appear in much, but uh, it's Streets of Fire. Because the first time he turned around uh, at, the, at the start of the movie, the only thing I could hear was coming out of his mouth was, the Roadmasters are hungry, and when the Roadmasters are hungry, they eat. That's what he says before he gets beat up uh, in uh, Streets of Fire. And that's all I heard him say through tough turf more or less because i couldn't get that image out of my head so streets of fire from 1984 that's a great pick and you actually had texted me i believe or sent me a message uh did you ever see streets of fire i was like oh negative i have not seen it we talked about we're going to go ahead and add that one to the to the queue here for this year so that we can cover it because i remember my video productions teacher who inspired me to do all sorts of movie things when i was in high school mr morgan he loved that movie and he, like, he yeah, he, he pushed the VHS. Like, oh, you got to watch the guy. And I borrowed it, and I never watched it. Okay. You don't want to know how many times I've seen this. So, uh... And I've noticed a lot of people love this movie. I'm really interested because I know it's it's uh, Walter Hill, right? 
Yep. Yeah. So I mean, I love Walter Hill, and I know the vibe of it. It's almost got a musical aspect to it, right? Yeah, it is. Like a rock and roll musical. Yeah, rock and uh, uh, rock and roll fable or something. That's what okay. he called it. Excellent pick. Excellent pick. So actually, I'm happy then, Vince, because you did not pick. <laughs> actually, your movie sounds <laughs> higher brow for sure than mine. So this is the movie that I remember my my really true crush with Miss Richards kicked in. Meatballs Part Two. She was yeah, in that. She was the yeah. main girl in that. Yep. She was the little, little uh, sort of virginal girl that, you know, the, the main guy wants to. Boing. Yeah, pretty much. That's where I was going with it. I was trying to, I was trying to stay classy, <laughs> Peter. Oh, you know. okay. Uh, <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so she was in that. So Meatballs 2, in case you're unfamiliar, Meatballs, of course, the original starred Bill Murray, directed by Evan Reitman. And the second one, it's the second in the series of Meatball movies. But I'm going to use the really quick Imdaba. A group of kids attempt to save a summer camp that's a financial failure. What they leave out of that is it also involves an alien. As I recall, hmm. very cheesy. Interesting side note about it. In the movie, they watch, and you'll appreciate this, Peter. I don't know. I'm sure you've seen Meatballs, too. I don't know how long it's been since you've seen it. It's been a while. They, I always remember it in it. They watch a, a horror film. And I was never able to find, but I always wanted to see because it was shot in Florida. It's called Shockwaves. Yep. It's about zombie Nazi. I know. Yeah, you know, you know about that one. And I believe you covered it on yes, ForgottenFlix.com. See, I actually remember that one. And yep. <laughs> that movie plays a slight role in Meatballs 2. They're watching it in the camp, but the guy who directed Meatballs 2, Ken Wiederhorn, actually directed Shockwaves. Yeah, I know. Yeah, which is yeah, yeah. I didn't even realize that. He also did Return of the Living Dead too. He did uh, several episodes of Freddy's Nightmare. So he, uh, you know, did some stuff that definitely connects back to my my childhood. So that's pretty cool. Uh, But yeah, Meatballs too. That was the movie specifically that I remember really being infatuated with Ms. Richards. So, so so are there any body doubles used in that movie? No, it's PG. Okay. It's funny because I also, and it's been a long time since I've seen this movie, but I remember after, especially after watching Tough Turf, I remember aspects of Meatballs Part 2 seeming almost more sexual <laughs> than even Tough Turf. And that's the R-rated <laughs> one where it has the nudity. So I remember Meatballs 2, it pretty much has everything but the nudity. That that's And it's, it's 84, so it was right at the beginning of of the pg-13 revolution which really kicked in in 85 obviously but uh, so it didn't I, I think it probably would have been a pg-13 had it come out the next year would be my guess but it was uh it was it was a pg a hard pg a hard pg so yeah so let's see so we have firstborn streets of fire and courtesy of yours truly meatballs part two as your movie picks <laughs> could have picked another one what's that you could have picked another one well i could The one thing that also popped out, uh, because we did something like this on uh, Spooky Flicks Race last year, the director of Tough Turf, mm-hmm. what other movie did he direct? Oh, I'm going to have to cheat and look, because I, I already looked at these, but... Um, oh, Children of the Corn. Yep. Yep, he sure did. Yep, I knew there was mm-hmm. one specifically that connected that, to... Yeah, that, yeah, I know. Actually, he did a couple that I, I recognize besides yeah. Tough Turf and Children of the Corn. I mean... He did Swamp Thing, the TV series, which I have the vaguest recollection of. Gore, I, re- I remember the box for that. <laughs> Gore, Gore. Oh, yeah, the, yeah, that one. Yeah, but I, I know, I just wrote down Children of the Corn because we talked about it. And, uh, so, uh, to hearken back to that. Very nice, very nice. 
gentlemen, any any final words about uh, tough turf? No, no. I, I just I think uh, like if nobody's seen it, it's it's certainly worth watching. You know, see where where some of these some of the pop you know popular actors of today kind of got really an early start and see where they how they did in the beginning because I think that's a it's a nice uh, it's it's fun to see you know and it and it's it's just uh, it's a really good movie. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a good yeah. movie. I mean, I, I think it does stand up over time, actually. Yeah, it does, yeah. I was actually surprised at how good it is. Uh, I, I mean, and I didn't remember it being this this good, but seeing it at a at a grown-up age, it, 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 it kind of stands out. Yeah, I think there's things in it I appreciated because of my age now that I would not have, they would have... I would like the thing with the dad, I would have probably been surprised that they should, I wouldn't have, but now, of course, you know, now being a dad myself and probably closer to her dad's age now, <laughs> mm. you know, it, it's like, yeah, yes, get him. If you're a buddy, <laughs> you show him. you can still scrap a lick. Good for you. So yeah, it, it, it uh, yeah, I, I, there was aspects of this movie. I definitely, I think enjoyed more because I saw it at the age I am now. And I think I agree. I mean, I think even if you've never seen it, just to to have the experience of, like you said, Vince, seeing these folks, the way they started, um, you know, to the point both of you made, I think it does hold up in a lot of aspects. I mean, it don't go in expecting, you know, the greatest movie I've ever seen, but I think seeing, if you go in with the expectation, it's a angsty teen movie circa 1985 and if you you love those cultural aspects of the 80s and different things like that i think you could really really enjoy this movie you went in with the right attitude i think if you go in expecting this little perfectly created gem you're probably going to be but i think if you go in with the right attitude you'll really enjoy it yeah just fun just go in with the attitude it'll be fun and you'll have a good time so vince thank you so much I Thank really, you. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you having me on. It, it's been fun, and, and uh, I, I enjoy the show, and, and glad to be part of it. No, it was great having you on, man. It was a lot of fun, and you did a great job. And I appreciate you bringing this one to the table because honestly, I hadn't even thought about it in a long time, and it's always one I wanted to see. So I'm glad that you you brought it to the table. I'm very happy that I that that you brought it up too. I mean, I haven't seen for so long, so I probably wouldn't have seen it if you hadn't brought it up. Well, really glad enough. to do that. Glad to do it. Yeah. And and thanks to you, Peter. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you co-hosting here. And, and I think we're cruising right along. And again, thank you, Vince. Thank you, Peter. All right, great. So any, any final words then, Peter? Life isn't a problem to be solved. It's a mystery to be lived. Thanks for listening. And for even more retro movie goodness, be sure to subscribe on iTunes and feel free to leave a review. It helps more people find out about the show. And a special thanks to JV at YourSecretIdentity.com for all the fantastic music you've heard throughout this show. So swing on by ForgottenFlix.com where we've got great retro reviews, articles, games, tons of past podcast episodes and interviews, and more. 